Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What they discovered upon their arrival was almost unspeakable. We are all evil. It's some form or the dead won't bother you. It's the living you gotta worry about. Some, if I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons. Hello and welcome to the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. I'm Vicky. And I am Janelle. Oh my gosh, today is a momentous day. Does it sound like we're so succinct? It should. Because we're in the same room. Yes! Uh, I'm so excited. <laughs> yes! It's too early to hype. I, you know what? I am so hyped this morning because for the first time since March 2020, Janelle and I are back in the studio recording in the Ooh. same room. It's bizarro world. Is it? I can actually see your half of your face. Just my eyes. Just your eyes. <laughs> I have oh a tiny gosh. face. The pop filter covers most of it. <laughs> it do- it feels so good to be back in person. We've finally reached a point where, like, we're all vaccinated. We're all healthy. Like, life is good. And we're here together. I'm so reunited and it feels so good. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And it, it's... It's just good to, you know, sometimes there are problems with digital uh, mm-hmm. stuff, digital or recordings, dogs, digital meetings, or yes. cars outside. Yes. So <laughs> it's great. A host of things. We're going to get our audio quality back. Right. It's amazing. No more being trapped in the closet as I record. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably less editing for Tiff, hopefully. Yeah. She's probably excited. <laughs> um, anyway, so we have a great show for you guys today. But first, let's head over to the newsroom. Our story this week comes from Raw Story. Ew. Yeah. Um, okay, so it's about a woman, Elsie Saunders, who was horrified to discover that her husband, David Saunders, whose body had been donated for research purposes. I think I've heard this story. Was being used for an autopsy show at an Oregon hotel where people paid $500 to view as a part of an oddities and curiosities expo. Mm-hmm. 
Did you hear about this? I did hear about this. Girl. <laughs> I honestly have been to, and we've been to together, mm-hmm. uh, curiosity shows, oddity shows. Mm-hmm. I feel like if there's some shit like this going down, that is not the first thing I would want to do. No, no, thank you. Mm-mm. I feel like uh, being in a convention center is not the place for an autopsy, but that's just me personally. Yeah. Or a hotel. I think they were in a hotel. So they were in a hotel. Even, yeah. Even less. It was like the Oregon Marriott, I think. I mean, I want to be somewhere where it's sanitary and um, no one's going to get blood or guts oh or anything else. Is there a splash zone? <laughs> right? Ugh. Just like at no. SeaWorld, you have to... <laughs> Oh, God. You have to wear your parka if you're in the front row. So this is a quote from the article, quote, Saunders' body was displayed on a gurney in a conference room where retired professor of anatomy Colin Henderson used a surgical knife to slice into his head, limbs and chest cavity and removed his organs and brain. Audience members were invited to what? happened here <laughs> to prod at the body during the three hour procedure Stop. Yes. i didn't hear that part. yes <laughs> so you got to go up and poke yes <laughs> to poke the body poke poke mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. well and it's so I what have... was that movie stand by me oh god <laughs> that's all i'm getting <laughs> we want to go see a dead body <laughs> oh my god so i have had a friend who is in the medical industry, um, she is a doctor. She has said, I would never donate my body to science because I've seen how medical students treat some of the bodies that come across when they're mm-hmm. doing lab work. That's in exactly school. what my sister said too. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm going to donate my body. She's like, I will never let you do that. Yeah. I'm like, what are you going to do? She's like, I will have some sort of injunction where I stop you. And I'm like, she's like, you don't want to know. Yeah. What happens? I'm like, what does it matter? Yeah. I'm dead. Well, and sometimes it's not even about like the procedures they're mm-hmm. doing, but she has talked about medical students can sometimes be really disrespectful oh, yeah. to the they're gonna bodies be they're using. <laughs> yes. And it's part of the profession. <laughs> like ultimately, this is somebody who was alive and is now dead. You know, that person still deserves respect to their corpse even if they're donating their body to science so it's like this wasn't displaying in front of a crowd doing an autopsy in front of a crowd like that um so med ed labs which is the company that the family selected to donate the body to had sold saunders body to death science founder jeremy siliberto for ten thousand dollars um, and of course, like med ed labs and death science are like pointing the fingers at each other, mm-hmm. being like, like that Spider-Man meme. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I told you about this. And they're like, no, you didn't. We didn't know. So ah, just guys, I feel like on. there's probably a contract that stipulates certain things like cannot display body at a Marriott, but yeah. maybe I'm wrong. This would be a good time to have a lawyer look over that contract, maybe. Do you need a lawyer? <laughs> Vicky, this is a time to make your spot. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, okay, so moving on to Netflix and Kill. This week, we are talking about, about a six-part series on Netflix called Bad Sport. That hmm. Yeah, you'll intrigue. I will admit this was kind of the inspiration for this episode because I think um sports and crime to a certain extent 
are synonymous. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I'm not sure why that is. And I'm sure part of it has to do with this sort of fame and celebrity aspect of it. But like or the whole entire point of someone using someone's body for gain. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> that's cool. Um, like I said, it's a six part series that looks at stories of sports and crime as told by athletes, coaches and law enforcement. Stories include. Have you watched this yet? I you haven't. OK. Have I had time. You're funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I barely I'm watching stuff on like my breaks at work now because I'm just like got to oh, keep up, but I don't have time. <laughs> no, I haven't been doing anything except staring at a screen, writing things. Oh, God. <laughs> Um, so stories include the 1994 Arizona State basketball point shaving scandal, a race car driver who smuggled weed, the Italian football scandal where referees were being influenced by one of the team owners, a 2002 Winter Olympic figure skating scandal involving pressure from Russia on a French judge. I kind of remember when that happened. Yeah. A horse hitman. And alleged match fixing from a South African cricket captain. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a nice mix of like stories from everywhere mm -hmm. and kind of spanning a lot of interests. Yeah, there was also another sports related one that came out around the same time, too, where it was like a female boxer. Mm -hmm. There was like some story about basketball. There was like, I don't know, a week, a couple months ago where it was just like sports crimes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Nonstop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely say check it out. It's not like a like a long watch by any means. And because they're all they're not like interconnected in any way. You can just mm -hmm. kind of watch them. Whenever. Standalone stories. Yeah. 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 Um, but I thought they did really well. The horse hitman one is a little weird. <laughs> just those words make me sad. <laughs> yeah. It has to do with a gentleman. A racehorse? <laughs> No, no show horses show, oh see that show horses. is more understandable yeah show, mm -hmm. yeah so like the jumping yeah. the gates and all mm -hmm. of that not the necessarily like riding. dressage but mm -hmm. yes yeah um because the horses at a certain point would be more valuable with the insurance that was on them mm -hmm. if they were underperforming yeah, because it costs a lot to take care of a horse yes yeah so that was a really interesting episode I think because it's kind of this I feel like some of these high society things always have this sort of seedy underbelly that's yeah. shady as hell. Mm -hmm. I mean, just look at the lady from Dixon who was, you know, yes. taking all of the money yeah. from the city yeah. for fucking horses. Oh you know, yeah. it's not for fucking horses, but <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> to acquire them. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, check it out. Bad Sport on Netflix. If you if you need a weekend watch. This is that part of the show where we say content may not be appropriate for all listeners. Um, mine is actually not too heavy on violence today. Mm, mine isn't, but it's old timey. So prepare yourselves. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, so today, if you couldn't tell, we were talking about sport crimes. Um, sometimes it's like crimes within sports. Sometimes it's the athletes that are doing the criming. And, yep. <laughs> you know, we've seen it a lot. A mm -hmm. lot of DUIs. Um, domestic violence. Domestic violence. <laughs> dog fighting. Mm. That was a thing for a while. Gambling. Like, a lot. It just, there's a lot of stuff that goes on. So, it's almost like the pressure is too much to handle for one person. Almost. <laughs> so, there was a lot of, there's a couple of things that I was weighing talking about today. 
that we might I might have to come back to because I would love to talk about Balco one day. Mm. Um, but I am going to be talking about Art Schlichter. Are you familiar? <laughs> no, but are you that up sounds on your, like a sportsy name. <laughs> are you up on your NFL? Uh, no, I hate legends. football. I'm just going to let you yeah. know. <laughs> so this is, this is also an interesting one because I would not necessarily consider either of us like big sports fans. No. At least in <laughs> conventional sports, you know, like football, basketball, baseball. Eh. Yeah, I don't like sports really at you all. You know, I play sports. I don't really consider them is like... like because I like skating, skateboarding. Yeah. I don't really yeah. consider those sports. They're in the Olympics. <laughs> I know they are now. But and that's the thing. It's like the Olympics is probably the only one that I am like adamantly trying to watch I as it's like, happening. I don't like the Olympics either. Love the Olympics. I know. Very opposed Hot to take. the Olympics. Hot take. I realize. <laughs> Controversial. I realize. But I'll true. direct you towards some very interesting podcasts and documentaries about what happens when the Olympics come to people's countries. Oh. It's not good. I know. I know. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Hot take. But so football, also not really my no. thing. So there's some of these things that I'm going to include because I'm sure there's people who are like big football fans that will know whatever I'm saying, the words mm-hmm. that I'm saying, even if I'm <laughs> the words that are coming out of your mouth, even if I may not know what they mean. Mm-hmm. So I know what flag means. Yeah. <laughs> Touchdown. That's a yep, thing. We got it. <laughs> so Art Schlichter was born in Bloomingburg, Ohio, and his Pretty explosive sports careers started early. He played football and basketball at Miami Trace High School, where he did not lose a game in 30 starts as a quarterback. Sure. Uh, So while his football career began in high school, so did his gambling habit. (laughs) After he visited Scioto Downs with some friends. Scioto Downs is like a, um, what do they call it? Cart racing? Where it's like the horses with the carts on the back of them. Okay. With the two wheels. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very. Old school chariot. Yeah. <laughs> reminiscent of that. But they're like racing carts. You know what I'm talking about. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I've never seen it in action. But yeah. I feel like I've seen them at. Um, the one place I would see them is at the state fair. Mm. Illinois state fair. They have some horse racing stuff. I think. Anyway. Okay. So after tasting a win at the track, Schlichter would return again and again. And after high school, um, Schlichter played football for Ohio State as a four-year starter and was Ohio State's all-time leader in total offense. Again, one of these things that I'm like, I don't know what that means, but I'm sure somebody does. <laughs> Statistics. Yeah. Also something I'm not a fan of. Sports. Just probably why I don't like sports so much. There's yeah. fucking math involved. <laughs> um, of course, as we've been talking about today, there's always sort of another side to the coin. While his athletic career is on the rise, so was his gambling addiction. He continued to go to the track, started gambling on college and professional sports, where he lost thousands of dollars as a college student. Um, Well, this is probably back when college was affordable. (laughs) Yeah. And I get the impression that his family was decently wealthy because they had some horses that raced at this track. Like, Mm -hmm. that was kind of the connection. And you can really only do that kind of shit when you've got money. Now, according to the New York Times, Schlichter had been putting up red flags since his senior year at Ohio State when he was being watched by at least three agencies, the Columbus Police Department's Organized Crime Bureau, the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Identification and Investigation, and the Ohio State University Police Department. 
Interesting. Yeah. So Schlichter at this point had been seen multiple times with a man named Frank Hook, who was one of the biggest bookmakers in central Ohio at the time. Which year was this? Oh, gosh. So this would have been in the 70s. Interesting. Interesting. My grandfather in Cleveland, Ohio, ran numbers for bookies, which means that you're going collecting stuff and taking it to somebody else. Yeah. I wonder. Yeah. (laughs) So this is again from the uh, from the New York Times article, quote, the head of the Columbus Organized Crime Bureau said that through informants, we verified that Schlichter and Hook had participated in the games after hours or in the same after hours high stakes poker game. Uh, Schlichter, of course, denied this, saying of Frank Hook, quote, I know him by name, but honestly, I never met the man. I have never seen him. I have never talked to him. And I don't think he has seen me unless he ever saw me play football. Although they had their suspicions, police could not solidly prove that Schlichter had been involved in any illegal activity in his time at Ohio State. Hmm. So they were talking about like underground poker, high stakes poker games with like dumb. thousands of dollars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dumb stuff. Another thing I don't understand. Fucking poker. Yeah. I get- <laughs> yeah. I don't really know how to play. I don't really understand you it. You know, I'm down with some pinochle, but I'm not going to play. <laughs> You're such poker. an old lady. So tired. Would you like to play bridge? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Schlichter was one of the lucky few football players to be able to take his career pro. Like the the percentage of college students that actually are it's able to get drafted in the NFL. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's like 2% or something. A lot of times they'll go to real, real small, like farm-style leagues, and that's about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was picked fourth in the 1982 NFL draft by the Baltimore Colts. So this was like two or three years before <laughs> the Colts moved from Baltimore to Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. The future looked bright for Schlichter, although he failed to start in his first uh, pro season, but he was expected to be the future quarterback of the Colts. Like they were kind of building this team for him in the future. So he signed a three-year contract with a base starting salary of $140,000, $170,000 for 1983 and $220,000 for 1984, as well as a signing bonus of $350,000 and $125,000 low-interest loan from the owner of the Colts. The $350,000 signing bonus had disappeared before the start of the season. He probably gambled it all at once. (laughs) Yep. And Schlichter had already owed bookies like thousands of dollars before he had even been drafted to the Colts. So... Not a great start. Fickle. Yeah. Things took an even worse turn when during the 1982 NFL strike, Schlichter lost at least $700,000 in a cycle of gambling and losing and then betting more to like try and pay his existing debts, mm-hmm. putting him more into debt and then losing and then doing it all over again. Yeah. It's important to know that the NFL strictly forbids players from participating in gambling activity, whether it is legal or not. Mm -hmm. There's like no way. Um, I think the NCAA has something similar too. I think most places do, especially, well, I mean, with all of the gambling scandals that have occurred since the beginning of like sports in the 20th century, I think they did that on purpose. Yeah. (laughs) Most, I hope so. Most of them. Yeah. So this was 
that like this idea that if the NFL found out he'd be in real big trouble, it was sort of used as a form of blackmail against Schlichter, who was being threatened by bookies. He owed money to pay up his mounting debt or be exposed to the NFL. Unable to see another way out, Schlichter decided to go to the FBI in 1983, giving them information on bookies Samuel Richard Alasha, Alasha, Harold E. Brooks Jr., Charles Swift, and Joseph A. Serio, all of which were charged with unlawful gambling. Schlichter also informed the NFL, saying he was fearful that he would one day be asked to throw games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, initially, he was suspended indefinitely, but was given a 13-month suspension after he agreed to seek treatment for his gambling addiction. In 1984, Schlichter was reinstated in the NFL, but was released five games into the 85 season after the Colts heard rumors that he had been gambling again. Can't stop, won't stop. Uh, later, Schlichter revealed he hadn't stopped gambling during his suspension from the NFL at all. Uh, which was really a decision <laughs> that surprise. seemingly came back to haunt him and essentially ended any hope for future NFL appearances. So that wasn't great. <laughs> that happened. <laughs> 1987 began an even worse downward spiral when Schlichter was arrested for involvement in a multi-million dollar sports betting operation and pleaded guilty to illegal gambling, receiving probation. There's definitely this pattern of like, when he was getting re- arrested, a lot of times it was in Ohio. And he's a lot of the articles I read mentioned this idea that he was still kind of like seen as a good old boy and mm-hmm. would get somewhat lighter treatment because. Yeah, if you're a sportsy hero guy, sure. You know, mm-hmm. so it was a lot of times like probation or Slaps suspension. on the wrist. Yeah. yeah. 1987 was also when Schlichter began stealing checks or passing bad checks, often writing checks to the casino and failing to pay the money when he was unable to win gambling. So there's a point in time where you could write a check to a casino. I was like, what? Yeah, people were really lax with their checks. People were taking personal checks left and right. That's why there was so much check fraud. Yeah. (laughs) So... I'm sorry, the casino check thing blew my mind a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Between 1987 and 1992, Schlichter was arrested three times for a total of $50,000 in bad checks, each time receiving probation or suspension. It was also during these years that Schlichter moved to Las Vegas to get help for his gambling addiction. And like it was during this time also that he received what appeared to be the most helpful, um, the most help that people had been able to offer him up until that point. Like a lot of times, you know, the NFL required him to go to counseling, but like that was kind of it. And it seemed like during this time, there were people who were just like, they offered to arrange like a series of bank accounts and sort of a, um, a, what do you call it? When you get a certain allowance, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) the word was escaping me. (laughs) Um, An allowance for him so that he wasn't just taking all of his money and going to gamble. Um, so they did this for a while and they like scheduled him for therapy appointments, but all of this didn't seem to have as big of an effect on him as they would have hoped. So this is kind of a pattern that repeated over and over again with Schlichter just like burning bridges along the way. Now, Schlichter began receiving real punishment beginning in 1995 when he was arrested for fraud after passing $175,000 in bad checks at casinos in Las Vegas. Schlichter pleaded guilty and was sentenced to two years in prison. 
He served 16 months of that before being released, only to be arrested shortly after for stealing checks from his employer to attain $8,500 for gambling. This time, he was sentenced to eight years in federal prison, uh, of which he served 13 months before being released in 1999. Schlichter decided to return to his hometown of Bloomingburg, where his next con took place. Schlichter told various friends and family that he had connections to people who could get tickets for Buckeye football games. He took the money for the tickets, which never materialized, and instead he spent it on gambling ventures. In total, Schlichter had stolen $500,000 by the time he was arrested with the scheme. He pleaded guilty and was sentenced to five years in prison. While he was there, Schlichter's gambling addiction was so strong that he managed to convince his public defender to smuggle in a cell phone so that he could place bets from prison. Wow. Yeah. Pretty ballsy. (laughs) The public defender was sentenced to two years of probation and had her law license suspended for 90 days. Meanwhile, after being caught gambling in prison, Schlichter was put into solitary confinement for 100 days. (laughs) This is just all too ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, When Schlichter was released from prison in 2006, things honestly seemed to be turning around for him. Um, He really seemed to have, like, taken his addiction counseling to heart. He started his own nonprofit organization named Gambling Prevention Awareness. They were um, the goal of the nonprofit was to educate others, including athletes in college and the NFL, about the dangers of gambling addiction and how easy it is to fall into when the pressures of being a college or professional athlete are present. One of the things that he talked about a lot was, like you had mentioned earlier, like the pressure of being the football star Mm -hmm. is a lot for people. And, you know, for reasons that we will talk about later, sometimes those feelings and those pressures are really hard to process for some people, which just like creates these addiction, like a perfect environment for addiction. Mm -hmm. So he and his mom were like going around and talking to all of these organizations to try to bring awareness to uh, gambling addiction. He continued his advocacy for many years, appearing on television and radio shows to promote his cause. All seemed to be good in Schlichter's world until 2011, uh, when Schlichter pleaded guilty to theft and engaging in a pattern of corrupt activity. All the way to 2011, huh? Yes, yeah. Now, during their case, the prosecution claims that after leaving prison in 2006, Schlichter began gambling almost immediately, visiting gambling dens across the country. By 2009, Schlichter had decided to start his ticket-buying scheme once again, offering to get college and NFL tickets to people, but instead taking the money to use for gambling. A classic scheme. Mm -hmm. And part of this had to do with, um, like, buying tickets in bulk, Mm-hmm. So he and scalpers like, do that <laughs> getting a discount, you mm-hmm. know, like that's kind of the, the the scam part of it, because he would just collect the money from people that way. I It sounds weird when you're just saying, give me the money and I'll get you tickets. And they don't. It's because he had to collect from multiple people. So mm-hmm. there would be like a, a period of time where they wouldn't be expecting tickets right away. Anyway. When money became more difficult to get, Schlichter began to promise that he was going to get tickets to Super Bowl 45. (laughs) Again, something he never delivered on. When he had finally run out of money and lies, Schlichter turned himself in 
during February 2011. Now, by September of the same year, Schlichter had pleaded guilty and was faced uh, or was sentenced to 10 years. Later, he would also plead guilty to federal charges, one count each of wire fraud, bank fraud, and filing a false income tax return. The whole scheme ensnared more than 50 people who lost between $1 million and $2.5 million. Originally, Schlichter had been sentenced to eight years and four months in prison, but after testing positive for cocaine while on house arrest, awaiting assignment to prison, the sentence was increased to 10 years, three months, and $2.2 million in restitution. Just doing some cocaine at home. Listen, <laughs> casual house last, cocaine. Last, <laughs> casual house cocaine. Oh my god, that's something that I imagine in like a decorative thing on your mantle that's just there and nobody ever opens it until mm-hmm. you're like, cocaine. Would it's, you like some? It's on the house. Yeah, it's of the house and on the house. <laughs> Schlichter was all set to be released in August of 2020. However. It had come to light that he was calling and emailing women on the outside to place bets for him. For this, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> for this, he was forced to serve his remaining sentence and was barred from email for 90 days. So, what happened is he had the sentence in Ohio and he had the federal sentence. Uh, so he's serving the federal sentence first, and they were going to let him off for good behavior, but then they found out he was still gambling. They're like, "So no, you still have to go serve the remainder of this Ohio sentence uh, before you can be totally released." So Schlichter was released from federal prison in August of 2020, and he was sent to the Ohio State Prison System to serve the remain of, remainder of his sentence there. Mm-hmm. He was released from Ohio on. June 14th, 2021. I was going to say, they didn't let him go because of COVID? <laughs> well, he still had some of the sentence left. And I mean, that is a good point. They were they were going to try um, to get him early release, but the attorney like pulled it back because so when you behave like that, where you're still gambling, like you're still doing mm-hmm. the thing that you were put in prison for while you're in prison, they're less likely to let you out no matter how good your behavior is outside of that. Right. Right. But I mean, they were letting out nonviolent offenders all over the place because of COVID. Yeah. And that's just yeah. surprising because yeah. that is like the most nonviolent of offenses. Yeah. You're gambling. The only person you're hurting is yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I also want to point out that he was released on my birthday this year. So that's fun. Um, Happy birthday. Thanks. <laughs> uh, Schlichter has now this to me is the saddest part. I think he's now been diagnosed with Parkinson's and dementia, both of which are likely a result of multiple concussions over the years of playing football. It's widely believed that Schlichter suffers from chronic traumatic encephalopathy, also known as CTE. CTE symptoms include behavioral problems, mood problems, including depression um, and anxiety and problems with thinking. This is one of these things that I know we've talked about it a lot in relation to like Aaron Rod or Aaron Rodgers. No, Hernandez? Aaron, Aaron Hernandez, <laughs> not Aaron Rodgers. Ugh. Different sports. Oh, God. <laughs> Different controversy. Um, Aaron Hernandez. It's all right. <laughs> oh, God. Um, where. When you have CTE, it really does affect your brain in such a way that you can't control your emotions. Um, He was at one point in one of his prison sentences uh, diagnosed with depression, which later was diagnosed as bipolar disorder, which oftentimes gets mistaken for depression. Um, So like you have 
this impulse control mm-hmm. is part of it too. So I do think like playing football and taking that much trauma to your head is not, I'm not saying that is entirely the cause of his gambling addiction, but it didn't help. Mm -hmm. Like you can't possibly, if you can't control that part of your brain, like there's, there's, you're just going to do the thing anyway. Yeah. You know, um, I was also just listening to, there's a great podcast called cheat. Um, I think I've realized I like white collar crime because really it is like people trying to cheat the system and I find mm-hmm. cheaters really interesting. Yeah. They did a great episode on the NFL settlement as a result of a CTE being discovered mm-hmm. and people who have not been able to receive their uh, portion of the settlement because the NFL appealed the medical findings and it has to do with the the race norm race norming have you ever heard of this mm-hmm. so in the evaluations that the doctors were doing they had a choice between not race norming which means everybody is evaluated on the same level or race norming which essentially means that the a white person is graded on a different scale than a black person is uh, due to okay. biological differences mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. very old-fashioned idea very eugenics <laughs> true most of the doctors who were evaluating rightly chose not to use race norming Mm -hmm. um but the nfl has appealed these and said no actually because this person is black their score should have been at this which then disqualifies them from from these settlements anyway it's a really good episode i highly recommend Mm -hmm. it really interesting but like there are tons of nfl thousands of former nfl players who are suffering from now dementia parkinson's memory loss Mm -hmm. depression uh anxiety like PTSD, like all of these things that cause a lot of a lot of these uh, mood problems, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I, I think it's just something to keep in mind and we need to keep like, just be safe. <laughs> you know, head trauma is no joke, man. And it can mm-hmm. obviously ruin your life, mm-hmm. you know? Anyway, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Vicky, you know I am not a sporty person at all. Yes. Um, but I do find this interesting because I get I find things interesting that I often believe like I can't understand why people like it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'm like, fair. I can't understand why people like sports so much. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's fair. Um it's I decided fun, something to do. Yeah. I decided to look at something like really old timey because okay. I feel like a lot of times we get very wrapped up in the modern things. And I like to look at the history of why we are yes. still doing fucked up stuff. This is very um, on brand for you. Yes, very weird. <laughs> um now if you're not familiar, but Vicky, you are. <laughs> I am from a family that is a is high sport. Yes. <laughs> high yes. sport family. Did your sister play sports too? My sister played volleyball in eighth grade. Okay. 
Because I know your brothers did. Yes. But, okay. My brothers played. The your trifecta. dad coached too, didn't he? Was didn't he do coaching or no? No. Okay. Just kidding. My mom did. Oh. Okay. I was like, one of the parents did. Yeah. My mother did. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> my brothers did the trifecta: baseball, basketball, football. Yes. Uh, me and my sister were not sporty. We were thespians and musicians and Fair, all yeah. of the things. Yeah. Um, but in an attempt to make us like really interested in sports, my parents tried a lot of things. Okay. Um, that included dragging us to a lot of games, professional, um, you know, more like local stuff. Like we went to the Kane County Cougars a lot. Okay. Um, and we did a lot of stuff with Cleveland sports because my parents are from Cleveland. Sure. But the weirdest thing that my parents ever did to get me into sports was they started buying me baseball cards. Okay. So I have a baseball card collection. Base, I mean, baseball cards are like the nerdy aspect to sports, I, I would know. Say. So we went to, I think we went to a Cleveland game. Uh, was it baseball? It might have been baseball. Okay. And then my parents were like, oh, we're going to get you a bunch of cards and i'm like okay whatever so like they started buying us cards and they got me the little binder and everything and it was mostly holographic cards i think they were trying to like cater to my pokemon uh Fair. Yes. with the holographic yeah. cards yeah um but if you don't know how you know any baseball cards are it's a scam um <laughs> and they're not actually worth anything and there's no value in them yeah, yeah. so that's fun it's like perceived um, value right so I was like kind of okay with going to a lot of the games because I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, baseball butts are really yeah. the reason why you go to a baseball game. <laughs> they're, they're something. I really think they should bring back the high and tight pants of like the 70s and 80s because I feel like more people would be interested oh in baseball gosh, if no. they brought back the tight uniforms. I'm just saying. The only thing that kept me going was watching baseball butts. Okay. That's All right. So I'm that. Fair. But I wanted to concentrate. Baseball butts. Baseball okay. butts. Okay. It's like a joke in my family. Like, you don't even know. <laughs> you don't even know baseball the degree butts. into which baseball butts is a joke in my family. Uh, but I wanted to concentrate on an old-timey baseball okay. story. So that's why I brought up baseball butts. No. <laughs> so just a little background on baseball, because I feel like a lot of people aren't really aware that it actually has a really long history yes um, this is back back when everything was racist still yeah i mean <laughs> it still is well yes but you know what i mean but like blatantly yes, racist. yeah, yeah. Okay. like outwardly racist like totally okay racist yes yeah <laughs> um so it started uh to kind of become a professional thing around 1840 and was really really popular during the civil war which is weird to think about <laughs> The first established league was the National Association of Professional Baseball Players in 1871. And then in 1876, a gentleman from Chicago, a businessman, William Hulbert, formed the National League of Professional Baseball Clubs that would replace the National Association, which he believed was kind of being mismanaged and corrupted. So they decided that they were going to kind of like take it over and start from scratch. Okay. The National League had eight original members, the Boston Red Stockings, the Chicago White Stockings, <laughs> stockings lots of nice. stockings, Cincinnati Red Stockings, Hartford oh Dark Blues, Louisville Grays, Mutual of New York... <laughs> Okay. Philadelphia Athletics and the St. Louis Brown Stockings. 
Very I, unoriginal. I love it's so old timey that they mm-hmm. call the socks stockings. Yes. Like I love that. I love that. But it's all, of course, for the most part, color based. Like Yes. Not Location super and color. That's it. Which is where it should have stayed. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, but our tale is going to concentrate on the 1877 Louisville Grays scandal. Okay. I want to try so hard, but you know my old timey voice is going to come out. All right. Anyway. If you don't know where Louisville is, it's in Kentucky. The Grays <laughs> were out of Louisville, Kentucky, and they were a brand new team when this all started. They started playing in 1876. And the Grays were owned by businessman Walter Newman Haldeman. Um, He was an owner and publisher of the Louisville Courier-Journal newspaper. So a lot of newspaper men back then had their hands in many things. Of course. They were managed by Jack Chapman. And Chapman was not only the manager, but he also played on the team, which was a very common thing back then, but not anymore. Yeah, that's weird. (laughs) Well, and I'm sure part of the reason it's not as common anymore is this idea of one person owning... The whole deal and not, you know, control. It's yes, control. it's all control issues. <laughs> it's all control. Um, in 1876, they had 16 players and then went down to 13 players by 1877, which okay. isn't really great if you have injuries. No, yeah. Some so of their... I think it's 12, right? On a field. Well, do you? I was going to say, do you know? I'm pretty sure it's. On a field, you have the three outfielders uh, first, second, third, shortstop. And then if you count the pitcher and the catcher, that'd be nine. Nine. Okay. Okay. Ew. <laughs> Ew yeah. that I know all of that. Anyway, yes. So that's nine active players in the field. Okay. But you, I yeah. mean, they switch out the pitchers all the time. And right. Like, you know, right. So. You got to have options. Uh, you don't want to overwork those guys. Right. <laughs> so some of their star players, um, which have really fantastic names, are Jim Devlin, the pitcher, who played both of the only two seasons the Gray existed. Um, He previously played for the Philadelphia White Stockings and the Chicago White Stockings before being moved to the Grays. Okay. George Hall was the left fielder and in 1877 was really, really famous. He started playing in 1872 and was on the Philadelphia Athletics from 1875 to 1877. And when the team was expelled from the league for not traveling west for a game due to financial issues, he then moved to join the Grays. So they're just like, bye. (laughs) It was very like ragtag ramshackle kind of like leagues back then. So like if you didn't travel they would just kick you out if you couldn't financially afford to do something they would just kick you out wow so there were actually so many baseball teams that were only around for like one or two years before they were just like disbanded because they couldn't afford it or they were kicked out of whatever league and couldn't go anywhere else wow it's, it's crazy yeah and of course this doesn't even like this is all the white people leagues. You also have the Negro leagues were going on at the exact same time. Yeah. So like yeah. there was white established baseball and established baseball for quote unquote colored people back then. Yeah. So. Okay. That history is also running concurrently with this. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which another this I listened to someone talk about the Negro leagues on a podcast and he was talking about how all of them were owned by white people and they played in the same studio uh, stadiums as white people and they were upset when they got folded into the white leagues because they lost double the money 
So oh, there's gosh, so yeah. much. Baseball is so racist. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, it's so racist. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry to burst your bubble, but it's racist. That's why it's America's pastime. <laughs> I'm just here for the Cracker Jacks, really. <laughs> and the baseball butts the butts and the cracker jacks is where i stay um (laughs) i digress um (laughs) so we have some famous guys um then there's bill craver who was the second baseman who uh like started playing ball in 1871 so they all have a lot of like years on them he also hopped around a bunch and was uh, on the New York Mutuals for a little bit. And then they also got kicked out because they couldn't afford to make a trip to another place. Oh and God. so then he moved to the Grace. So there's a lot of things happening, at, you know, a lot of similar things happening. Okay. Now, during the Grays' second season in 1877, they were ahead in league standings with a 27 to 13 record, which means wins versus losses, in case you didn't know, (laughs) uh, with only 15 games left to play in their season. So they're doing pretty good. Then all of the sudden, they drastically lost their lead when they lost eight straight games in a row. Right? Oh, my gosh. Weird. Yeah. Maybe just a dry spell. (sighs) Or maybe crime. Maybe. Oh. <laughs> now, Bill Haig, the third baseman, got injured during the season and he had to be replaced. So they they brought in Al Nichols, who had played with George Hall on a previous team. The owner, Charles Chase, became suspicious when he noticed that Nichols was still in the lineup, even though Haig had fully recovered. Even stranger, several players all of a sudden had new clothes and jewelry. Hmm. The team president, Charles Chase, received two anonymous telegrams after this. One noted that gamblers were favoring the less talented Hartford team in an upcoming series. So kind of like a hint. The second telegram predicted Louisville would throw the next game versus Hartford on August 21st. Okay. The Grays committed a number of suspicious errors in this game and lost the game seven to zero. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, (laughs) John A. Hadelman was a baseball writer for the Louisville Courier Journal, and he noticed something during the gameplay that made him very suspicious of the whole thing. He had really good access to team officials because he was the father of Walter Hadelman, who was the majority owner and president of the Grays. He wrote a review in the paper calling foul on their game, which is like a funny little sports nod. (laughs) I call foul on your game, even though there's no fouls in baseball, but whatever. Um, (laughs) There's a foul ball. But not like a foul on Mm, a person. Yeah. (laughs) So he also openly questioned whether the team had deliberately thrown the game in the pennant race. Oh. So he wrote about this in the paper. Okay. Chase confronted pitcher Jim Devlin because of his poor performance and the fact that he hadn't pitched using his best throws. So he had some like fun whirly knuckleballs that he would do um and he kind of just like didn't say anything when the guy confronted him he was just like "Mm, okay okay this was enough to make teammates suspicious that something was happening other teammates thought he would admit to doing something nefarious or like deny it but he was just like "Mm." so everyone started growing really suspicious of him so not everybody on the team was in on on Mm -hmm. this just a couple 
Yes. So the league president, William Holbert, began investigating. Okay. Bill Craver had a history of gambling and was even beat by his previous team for double crossing someone. Wait, beat like beat up? <laughs> beat up. Like, oh yeah. my god. Like oh god. Beat. <laughs> so the he double crossed someone on a fix. So what that means is that he betted against and betted for using two different gamblers and got caught. Oh, damn. So <laughs> that's pretty ballsy. It is. <laughs> George Hall started to get squirrely, and he was thinking that Devlin and some other people were confessing to fixing games. So Hall claimed that Nichols was the person in contact with the gamblers and that all three had thrown games. Okay. Chase requested from each member of the team permission to see all the Western Union telegrams sent and received. Okay. This is old, old-fashioned detective work. Yes. I love it. <laughs> I'm here for it. On October 4th, the entire team was ordered to turn over their telegrams. <laughs> give me your telegrams! <laughs> Craver was the only man on the team who refused to give his telegrams over, which That's caused... Sketchy. He, he got suspended. Oh. He was like, I'm not going to give you my telegrams. Um, the telegrams proved the three were in open communication with the gamblers, and the telegram showed that Devlin, Hall, and Nichols had th- were the only three that had thrown the games. Devlin received up to $100 per game fixed. Wow. So he was making some bank. Yeah. Now, Craver was banned, even though it was not proven that he w- had actually participated in throwing the games. Um, Wait, he he's the one that refused to give up his telegrams, right? Yes. Craver's was the, the one only, that was like, he was you can't have one. my... Okay, mm-hmm. okay. He was banned, even though they couldn't prove that he participated in anything. And I think that was because he wouldn't give up anything and was kind of acting weird. Yeah. Um, but there were reports of his gambling and insubordination in the past. And along with his refusal to cooperate with the investigation, it was just bad news bears for him. Another sports reference. Good job. Nice. <laughs> You're welcome. Good job. <laughs> On October 30th, Craver, Devlin, Hall, and Nichols were expelled from the club, and on December 4th, the National League banned them from professional baseball for life. Forever. You can't play with us. Forever. <laughs> sports movie another, reference. Another sports movie reference. <laughs> <laughs> now, Devlin tried to be reinstated many times, but was unsuccessful. Devlin fought several years to be reinstated, and he went as far as to go... <laughs> To William Holbert and beg on his hands and knees to be reinstated. Oh, no. That's kind of sad. It was for the love of the game. That's kind of sad. (laughs) It is. It's depressing. Wait till you find out what most of their professions became after the fact and you won't be so sad. Oh, God. Okay. (laughs) Holbert responded by handing him $50, which is roughly the equivalent of $1,200, and saying to him, old-timey voice, Devlin, that's what I think of you personally. But damn you, you've sold a game. You are dishonest, and this National League will not stand for it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So he basically went poo-poo, gave him $50, and say, this is what I think of you, you pauper. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, Now... I don't know if you've read ahead, but can, no. you, can you take a guess as to what some professions might be that they would wind up in? After baseball. After baseball. What's life after baseball like? Um, Maybe a bouncer? Okay. Or 
Let's see. This life, is the 1870s. Just remember that. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm like, what were like good professions back then for like former sports? It's. I feel like it'd be like a manual labor something. Okay. Okay. Well, we've already talked about the racism inherent in baseball. Oh no. So okay. Craver and Devlin went on to become cops. Uh, of course. <laughs> of course. Devlin's police career was short-lived as he died of tuberculosis in 1883. <laughs> okay. The others lived into their 70s and 80s. One of them I think also became a janitor. So we have two cops, one janitor. Okay. And none of them ever played professional baseball again. Wah, wah, wah. But none of them served any time they were just kicked out of their leagues yeah. so well i think mm-hmm. that the gambling was not as big a deal back then because mm-hmm. you had mob controlled everything right. mm-hmm. and nobody was making laws against that type of thing at that point yeah gambling yeah. wasn't like illegal yet or regulated yeah, yeah. it yeah. was all like still copacetic still very like old west times kind of yeah acceptability uh i think with the temperance movement in the 1920s is when Mm. gambling and things started to shift um but that is the louisville gray scandal interesting and yeah i guess i never really (laughs) thought about because you hear i think when you're talking sport crimes a lot of the time you hear about price fixing or game fixing point Mm -hmm. shaving like that kind of thing that has to do with fixing games for gambling. It never occurred to me that that would have, I guess, been happening all the way back to the start of baseball. But yep. it makes sense because humans are shitty sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I mean, back in this time period, they made next to nothing. Yeah. Babe Ruth yeah. was poor. Did you know that? Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I just pulled out my odd sports facts. Yeah, Babe right? Ruth was poor. <laughs> Um, but they, they didn't make anything. And honestly, I don't really think baseball players made much until the seventies or eighties. No, no. And so, yeah, they did this because they were making less than a lot of people were making. Wasn't baseball one of those things where they literally had like second jobs Mm -hmm. outside of baseball. Like baseball was a part-time deal. Yeah. It was a difficult thing to do professionally. And yeah. like I said before, a lot of times these teams were just out of money. Yeah. Because if no one comes to watch you and they're paying what, like a penny? A yeah. penny to get in? Yeah. A penny for candy? A penny to get in? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, yeah. where's the money at? Yeah, right. And they're all ran by rich people. So a lot yeah. of them are like newspaper owners. I think Rockefeller had... uh part ownership of a baseball team so like right they were doing it because it was fun you know yeah. like oh well I'll have a i mean still a lot of people do that the guy who owns the jets is like the guy who owns aew like so a lot of people yeah, a lot of people yeah. Do that just for like the novelty aspect of it. it's like i own right. this team um yeah there's in reality the people making the money aren't ever the players. No. It's the owners. Yeah. <laughs> Always. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was, I liked that. I enjoyed yes, that. I like an old timey scandal. Yeah. So uh, before you watch that next sport ball game on <laughs> your television, uh, maybe check out this podcast. Hi, I'm Nicole. Sarah. Hillary. 
And we're the hosts of the Feminine Mistake Podcast. Each month, we sit down with a guest to watch movies that are 20 years or older. And see how they hold up to today's modern feminist lens. Why do mermaids have such low self-esteem? Why is it so funny when men take care of babies? What exactly did Jenny die of in Love Story? These are the kind of hard questions we ask ourselves on the Feminine Mistake Podcast. The Feminine Mistake Podcast. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Podbean. Do you guys think that was okay? Yeah, I don't know. We sounded kind of shrill. Really? Yeah, women's voices are just so grating on the radio. Yeah. Oh, man, you're right. Yeah, I mean, have you ever heard those guys over at the Nerdist or last podcast on the left? I mean, they're just biologically more funny than we are. So true. Yeah. All right, Janelle, that has been our episode. It's so good to be back <laughs> um, to talk about these in person. Mm-hmm. It's great. Uh, we're excited to be back in person. I think we have some some pretty good stuff coming up for you guys um here in the future you you might have noticed that we took like a month off from recording yep Um, (laughs) i wonder why yeah we had our fringe fringe episode went up um we have a bloopers episode going up you know just to keep you guys satisfied right um but i'm i'm glad to be back recording it feels a little more normal yeah i like how we're like we'll take a break but then we didn't actually take a break Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what we do here. <laughs> Take a break from new recordings just for real life stuff because yep. it's busy. Mm-hmm. But if you enjoyed this episode, you can find more like this at badtastepodcast.com, um, where you can find links to all of our episodes, as well as the merch store and uh, our, our donate page, our Patreon page. Um, Check us out out there. I don't know. You got anything? Anything else before we? Um. Yeah. We st- we st- we're still kicking it with casting whimsy. Yeah. <laughs> and if you like tea, uh, the holidays are coming up. This they is a good have... season. It's yes. officially started snowing here. Yeah. Ugh. So if you need to get some gifts, I would highly suggest doing it now before yes. they run out of their gift selection. Yeah. Because they do like tea advent calendars and stuff like that. Ooh, that's and cool. You can order online; they'll ship to you, or you can do pickup in store if you're in the local Woodstock area. Northern Illinois, whatever. Um, if you give the code BTC Pod at checkout, you get 10% off. You can also do it in store. Just say, I know the bad taste crime podcast. And they'll be like, 10% off. Cha-ching. Cha-ching. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah. So get your get your gifts. Um, I already pre-ordered some stuff. <laughs> nice. That should look. So, yeah. Might be mm-hmm. a tea Christmas this year. Yeah, yeah. I started a new job and I created a little cozy tea corner in my Ooh, office. Ooh, I like There's that. There's like a tea kettle and it, literally a tray full of different teas. Very nice. <laughs> it's very calming. If I had the room for it, my office is like <laughs> tiny. It's so tiny. I mean, mine's tiny, but I'm just pretty strategic with how I put things into I can't. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so Casting Whimsy. Mm-hmm. I've heard very good things. I've heard a lot of good feedback. People are excited. Yes, I like their tea a lot. About what they have. So check them out. What's, their website is castingwhimsy.com. Castingwhimsy.com. Beautiful. Um, all right. I think that's all we got for today. That's all I got. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, on that note, our sound and editing is by Tiff Fullman. Our music is by Jason Zashevsky, the Enigma. <laughs> So much hype. Oh, the hype button. I love it. It's back. (laughs) This has been the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. We will see you in two weeks. Goodbye. See you later. You're out of here. (laughs) You can't call me out. You're out of here.